Hi, welcome to another episode of the Tea Care Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Alex, and for this episode, I am joined by my co-host, Anushka. In this episode, we are talking about racial concerns in the workplace and how you can address them without fear of persecution. Our special guest for this podcast is Keisha French, an internal recruiter for SoftCats Apprenticeship Scheme and a leader of SoftCats Bay Network. Keisha was one of my favourite guests and I'm excited for you guys to hear her insight. So wherever you are, grab a notebook and a pen and enjoy the TK podcast. So hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the TK podcast. Um, today I am joined by my co-host, co-host Nush. How are you Nush? How's everything? I'm, I'm doing really well. Thanks Alex. You? Yeah, not bad, not bad. It's um, I've had a good day. It's been a really, really fantastic day, and I'm really yes, looking it? forward to the. I'm looking forward to the insights that we're going to be getting from our magnificent guest, Keisha French. Mm, me uh, too. Hi, Keisha. How are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. How are you today? Yes, I'm good. I'm good. Um, so for today, uh, the topic that we are focusing on is racial concerns in the workplace. But before we get into that, I thought it might be good, Keisha, for you to give a little bit of background about yourself and your journey and everything like that. Um, and then after that, we can we can start delving a little bit deeper into the topic at hand. Yep, perfect. So my name is Keisha. I am currently a recruiter for Softcat PLC and I work alongside Nush in the HR department. I've been at Softcat now for about two years, four months, which has absolutely flown by. Um, I actually started out in the sales team, um, but this year made that transition into recruitment. And alongside my role, I'm also one of the leaders of the Softcat BAME network, um, which has a strong team of three other leaders, as well as two admin assistants as well. And we help to run the network, which is the BAME network at Softcat. And she's a super okay. amazing Perfect. human being as well with it all. Not biased. Oh, thanks, Nish. I could oh. see. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nish. Um, thank you very much for that. <laughs> so interesting, from, from sales, sales into recruitment, what, what made you sort of make that change? I know that's not completely on topic, but I'm just intrigued. Yeah, no, of course. So I left uni with an English Lit degree, totally relevant for everything that I'm doing. Um, I had no <laughs> idea what I wanted to do. And I kind of got uh, promoted into sales, if you like. So a recruitment company approached me and said, we think you've got the skills need- needed and required for sales. And I was successful. And I joined a company and was there for two years. Then I joined an estate agent company. The less said about that one, the better. And then I found Softcut. <laughs> and I'd, I'd always I'd always been in sales. And I was I was good at it. And at times I was great at it. But I, the, the passion kind of got lost and the love for it very quickly evaporated. Um, mm. And I just knew that my priorities had changed from when I went into that. And the more that I spent t- spent at Softcat and the more time I spent with the networks in particular and like speaking to Nush, I really realized that my passions were on the people side of the business. As much as I really enjoyed speaking to my customers, where I, I really, really got going was when we were talking about anything to do with our people. And that's when I decided I need to be in a role that is centered around our people. And through the support of Nush and Rebecca Monk, HR director, and Rachel Cowell, the um, kind of head of um, recruitment, I was they helped me on the journey to to get into that team and that that's how I got there basically okay so could you 
tell me a bit about your um the role you're in now um just so the listeners because some might not be privy to what a recruitment individual does um, yeah, just give us a fine. bit of insight so I'm part of the internal recruitment team and it's our job really to recruit for all the people that start Softcat. In particular, I recruit for our apprenticeship scheme. So that is level three apprenticeships, which is mainly catered to the school leaver market. So it's my job to recruit for that school leaver bracket and also collaborate with schools to get young people and people at school interested in technology and we do a lot of work as well specifically in the dni space of encouraging ethnic minorities and women as well into the world of technology in a nutshell <laughs> it's really apt actually isn't it alex because um we've been talking quite a lot about um the younger generation and how companies are evolving so it'd be really good to hear like keisha's perspective from from that kind of you know when when you're recruiting that talent you know what do what do companies need to be aware of as well yeah most definitely i guess that's 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 the question i was gonna ask um what what sort of what do you look for um, when you're looking for um, sort of school leavers or university leavers um, to join Softcat? What what makes them a perfect fit? It's really simple. It's um, what are their desires to go into an apprenticeship scheme? So why do they want to do an apprenticeship? And, and really, why do they want to work for Softcat specifically? We're not looking for the experience. We understand that at that age or at the school leaver bracket, they're not going to have umps of experience. We just want the passion to be there and the drive to want to do well because of a big element of their um, their job is going to be the learning aspect. So they've got to have that passion to see the learning through. But really, that's the criteria, just ensuring that they've got the passion. Our application process helps to assess if they're a cultural fit. And then that's how you get in, basically. Okay. And and just for some of the younger listeners who might have their edge picked up thinking, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to, to get some experience in, in the IT industry, what type of roles are available um, to, to apply for? Or is it sort of they have a flavor of each role while they're within that internship? No, that's a good question. So we don't do it rotationally. So an apprentice will start and they will be in a specific role for the duration of their apprenticeship. So um, we do sales apprentices. We have um, customer service, marketing. Sometimes we do finance. It really changes. We will always have sales apprentices, but sometimes we get new roles that come about. Um, and there's mainly two qualifications that they'll do. They'll either be an IT technical salesperson or a business administration. So for young people don't be worried if you think I don't know what that role means I'm not sure if I want to be in customer service just have a rough idea of the kind of things that you're into the kind of stuff that you've done at school and we will guide you in that process of saying we think you'd be a really good fit for this role or that role yeah no thank you no I think I think that's really helpful yeah. For, for a lot of our listeners sorry Nush did you I was going to say yeah yeah just a quick question there like what um we always talk about how um some particularly women um and and even ethnic minorities aren't that attracted to to the IT industry um we can you know we can see that there is a gap when it comes to the number of like the employers that have ethnic minorities at different levels but just that attraction piece as well what kind of question what how do you overcome that what kind of questions do you get at that grassroots level to help overcome that that challenge that they might face um i think it's a difficult one nush i think it's um assessing 
in particular what those challenges are because they're going to be specific for different groups um, alleviating some of the concerns that groups have I know there's stats that say that for example a man is more likely to apply for a role where I don't know the percentage but they're more likely to apply for a role where they don't have all the experience than a woman would for example yeah so therefore it's meeting uh, those groups halfway alleviating their concerns um, if that makes sense and, and just and then therefore understanding what their hurdles are and making sure as a business that you are minimizing those as much as possible yeah of course because we get we you know I, I know that um even from the, the you know when we first started doing apprentice uh, apprenticeships at softcat there was that kind of little barrier wasn't there between you know should i go to university should i do an apprenticeship and then that next kind of barrier which is should i do an apprenticeship in a specific field and is sales kind of the place to be is it industry the place to be so there's quite quite a lot to overcome really isn't there when you're at that kind of age what kind of um tips again for the listeners who are out there at the moment who particularly might be interested in that kind of stuff what um what kind of tips would you give them when it comes to understanding the business and understanding kind of the roles that they could take on I think um definitely go on the websites uh, of of businesses that you're interested in and do some research understand what kind of business they are what roles are currently being advertised there's some great organizations as well that specifically um hire or advertise apprenticeship type roles so feel free to reach out to them to guide you as well and definitely use your careers um, advice at school or if you're at college as they will also be able to guide you as well and you don't have to know what you're going to do I, when I was 18 I thought I was going to be a journalist and here I am <laughs> you don't know you don't have to you don't have to know what you want to do at the age of 18 it's perfectly or 16 or 15 or whatever it is um, just as long as you know what your passions are, what you're good at, what you enjoy and your career's guidance and, and the, those employers will help you get on that journey to finding what's best for you. Yeah, amazing. Thanks. So given the information that you, you, you shared with us, um, how can someone who's from a culturally underrepresented background um, get into these roles? Because there's a certain stigma attached to it that it, when they do get these roles or when they do apply for these roles, um, they, they're going to get rejected for whatever reason, experience or someone's looked at their name and thought, OK, this person from that background, et cetera, et cetera. How, how can they position themselves in the best way um, to be able to, to get onto these apprenticeships? Quite frankly, it's not on the candidate to do any of that. It's a, the job of the employer to make sure that we're at a stage now where we're not discriminating anymore. Now, we shouldn't be that. We shouldn't be there anymore as, as a society. We've come a very, very long way. And if anything, from the discussions I've had with lots of businesses and industry, etc., DNI and is very much on the radar. Lots of businesses are reviewing how do we ensure that we're making our processes fair for all? So it's not for a candidate to um, change anything. You be yourself. And if you... Uh, come up against an employer and you feel like you're being discriminated against or in that application process then first of all that employer is not the right employer for you um and and that's a them problem it's never a candidate problem so i think it's less about what a candidate should do to make themselves more employable but what employees should do or employers should do to make the processes as fair as possible for all really Sure, sure. And then from an employer standpoint, what's the framework that should be set up um, to allow them to feel comfortable enough to approach these businesses and make applications and go through the interviewing process to then receive that job at the end? Do you mean for the candidates, like the people applying? Um, I mean, for the business. 
how does a business set itself up? Um, there's lots of organisations out there. If, if a business feels that they're not inept or they're not there yet in terms of th those processes, they don't have to go for it alone. There's lots of organisations out there that are really catered around that kind of consultancy and getting a business to where they need to be. Um, there's things like the Institute for Student Employers, but there's also organisations as well that specifically help employees or employers, sorry, with their recruitment processes. So it's reach out for support don't feel like you have to do it all by yourself it can be quite daunting as a business to think we've got to start this journey things like t-care should hopefully help with that um seeking yeah. advice so just i would say find those organizations that can help you with those goals yeah. I agree, Keisha. There's always so many opportunities to idea share with other organisations because everyone's got to start from somewhere, haven't they? Like the number of conversations. I mean, like that's again, like you just said, you know, using T-Care for that. There's so many organisations that would have had to start from like baseline to get certain processes right. And actually, it's kind of evolving those processes and not kind of keeping, you, you don't stay stuck to that specific process for, for years to come. It's always about evolving and challenging challenging those processes to to improve that candidate experience at the end of the day isn't it yeah um when I was in sales we used to have coaching in another organization that I worked for and there's this fantastic coach an external coach and she said the reason why she was as successful as she is because she was always open to change no matter how long she'd been in the sector for no matter how experienced she was she was always privy to what was happening and was open to changing and evolving and I think we can all learn from that as an individual or as an yeah. organization that don't be complacent always be up to date with what's happening in the market and adjust accordingly yeah yeah I think that, I think that's great Wise advice words. as well uh, yeah whoever whoever was that that external person that came in yeah kudos <laughs> big kudos to them um I just want to change I just want to change um the point of conversation slightly um and focus on the point now where you've now you've got this job whether it be an apprenticeship or a full-time role um, and you're coming into the workplace with your own conceptions of how it's going to be like, maybe because of previous experiences you've had in previous roles where you may be a woman or you, you may be someone who's Muslim or whatever you may be, and you felt like you was mistreated because of that specific area. Um, how does the business set that person up to feel comfortable once they've started in a new role to be able to express themselves fully? Um, there's probably a number of processes that need to happen before that person starts. So it's just making sure that you have an, a truly inclusive environment, an organic environment, so that when the new person comes in, they can already feel it and sense it. I'd like to think now, for example, when a, a person joins Softcat, they can really feel the community sense and all the networks that we have going on. There's always conversations happening, events happening, and that's happened organically over time. Um, we don't just do it as a reactionarily thing of we've got X amount of minorities starting quick. We need to do stuff to make them comfortable. Focus on the, the, bigger, the bigger piece, which is the creating an environment in which people feel comfortable. And then naturally, when new people start, they will, they'll feel that. In fact, they'll be the they'll be more they'll be a part of it. Who's been there for years, and they will be a part of it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. And, and what would you define as being sort of the key pillars to making everyone feel feel culturally comfortable um, when they when they come into Softcat? I think the most pivotal thing has been, and particularly for Softcat and many other organisations, it was creating that safe space for people. 
in which they can meet people who look like them, have gone through those experiences. When I started Softcat, there was no BAME network. And uh, though the the office that I uh, reported into, which is Birmingham, was one of the most diverse ones in in Softcat at the time, um, it, when I when we did kind of launch the BAME network, that was the saving grace for me because I got to meet like-minded people. I got to meet people who looked like me, who've been through similar experience to me, so that when something happened, I knew I wasn't by myself, and that that's been pivotal. And I'm sure Nush will agree that that has yeah, changed totally. so many things for us as a business by having that network. So I think it's really important, whether it looks like a network, whether it's a committee that you just draw a circle and allow people to have that space mm. in, in which to engage with with other ethnic minorities or whatever denomination it might be. Yeah. And going back to that safe space, that's kind of the one thing that was our ultimate aim. Like, you know, the one, the first objective was about creating a safe, a safe space. And it has to be um, a network. Some organisations um, that or previous listeners might have heard it being called employee resource groups or ERGs. Um, we call them networks at Softcat just to keep it really simple, um, especially when we're talking internally and externally. But they're all led by the people of Softcat. You know, I haven't got... Uh, I I'm not a leader of any of the networks, but, you know, we've got different people from different um, parts of the organisation, from different parts of the country, all leading and contributing to, to it and and evolving it continuously as well. Yeah, and, be, and that point around across the country, Nush, it's meant that I've been able to make friends and network with people from the Dublin office, the Glasgow office, London, uh, opportunities that otherwise reporting into Birmingham I would not have had that exposure and and that that chance to meet those people so it's been a real benefit I would say. So how important do you do you think um having that community is for for the business in general not not just the individual how how is it helping build the company culture and and innovate it? Um, I think it's imperative to us improving not just diversity in terms of ethnicity, but diversity of thought as well. You, you're, you're drawing from experiences from a cross section of the business or different tenures. And it, it just means that we can all meet in the middle and have these discussions and you're getting a, a variety of different responses to to problems and creating a variety of different solutions, if that makes sense. And what's important as well is with the BAME network, I know BAME is a contentious word, by the way, and, and it's been debated whether it should be used or not. We as a network decided we wanted to keep that name, but we are very inclusive as well. So we actually encourage allies to come. So you don't have to be BAME to join. And it means, therefore, that our white allies get exposure to conversations that they've never been privy to. A lot of people come from areas that are majority white. They would never be exposed to the kind of conversations that we're having. So it gives that kind of experience as well to on the other side to those. Yeah, no, and I think allyship has been something that's been mentioned a lot um, in the podcast series that we've been putting together. And I think it is something that I don't want to say it's a new term, but it's definitely something I've seen more of with people coming into businesses and explaining what it means and how you can be an ally. And that's just, that's not only around race. It's, it's also around LGBTQ plus. All areas. And all areas, honestly, all areas. Um, And I think that might be, in my opinion, the catalyst or one of the big catalysts for change, making that an aware term to people. And then when the new generation comes in, um, they'll know that, okay, we've got allies here, we've got this here, we've got this 
Bain set up here. We've also got the the ER is it ERGs, I believe they're called um, as well within the business. We've got the network set up as well, and I think it's it's going to be we're moving in the right direction, which is which is the main thing, and I think that's I think that's fantastic. I really do. Yeah, um, allies are the the key drivers for change um, because you can have a group that are going through something. But unless you have advocates outside of the spheres of people who are going through it, then you won't experience that change. And it's the getting the allies on board with the all of the networks that have really helped to um, drive the community piece and the network piece into our business to such an extent that now community is one of our values. That's how much it's changed in, in the past two years or so. So it is imperative, that allyship piece. And we're all allies, aren't we? Even within the kind of... Uh, ethnicity space we're all allies to people different from ourselves yeah for sure that's um, important yeah Keisha you might be able to like just um I guess some of this is kind of sanity checking that it's also working at Softcap but one of the things that I've kind of noticed over probably the last kind of year or so is how um um, confidence across those allies as well having either gone through training or participated in more learning through the networks they've been they've been there to they've got they've just had that newfound confidence to call in what we call call in rather than call out behavior have you seen that and have you observed that yourself as well uh yeah definitely i think a it's uh, given empowerment to any victims who might experience any form of discrimination to feel empowered that you will be listened to, but it stopped the passive um, yeah, kind of the passiveness, which is historically people might have witnessed something, but thought I wasn't the victim. It's not my place. I'm not going to say anything. I definitely think it has allowed people to say, you know what, I'm not going to be passive anymore. Um, to be, it's not enough to be not racist. I need to be, for example, anti-racist. I need to be anti. Um, you know, uh, homophobia, etc. And I think that's really empowered people to actually speak up and like you say, call people in, call people mm. to account. And I, yeah. I've seen that in this business, definitely. We, I've heard of a few cases of where lines have been told and now people feel empowered to say, you, you crossed a line, stop. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that's helped? Um, I mean, like one of, the, one of the main topics of this conversation was really about um, feeling confident to address issues or racial concerns in the workplace without thinking that you're, you know, you're going to be condemned for it or people are going to think negatively of you. Of, of you. I, I, I was talking to Alex earlier and we were saying how like generation wise, I remember like my parents were kind of that generation where it was like kind of just shut up and put up and, you know, just get on with yeah. it, just work hard, just do your job, you get paid and then, you know, like kind of prove your worth, so to speak. I know allyship has really helped that now, but what about kind of before like allyship as well like Alex said it's kind of a new term really thing you know it's becoming more popular in terms of its use but what about pre that and generationally how has that has that changed do you think uh drastically and by the way you know when we talk about our organization we're not saying that we're there yet there's there's a lot that still needs to happen um but yeah, it has changed. I mean, if we look at my nan, for example, my, name, my nan came over in the 60s. She still doesn't tell me exactly when, for whatever reason. That's my nan. Um, but she came over in the 60s and uh, she was a nurse or a, she was a health assistant when she started. And it, she came as part of the Wimbush generation and they were told, please come over. Your, your mother country needs you. And what did she get when she got here? She got discrimination in all forms. It was in the workplace. It was on the street. It was in housing. She had all kinds of names 
thrown at her that I won't I won't share here. You can imagine what she what she must have had. And hers her attitude was I, I need to prove my my um position here. I need to prove that I deserve my citizenship as a as a British citizen, that I deserve my place here. And that's what she spent, you know, most of her working life doing, proving that she deserved it. And that was you don't you don't say anything. You don't re you certainly don't report it. You don't want to be the aggravator. You just um you, you stay quiet and you hope one day that they might they might see you as as someone who is you know who is British. Then by the time you get to the next generation, which is all of her kids and and my mum, whatever, it was still it was still there. It's it was there in education. It was there in the workplace. Um, I think they were probably more privy to the idea that this isn't okay. Actually, I was born in this country and this isn't right. But I still don't think they're yeah. empowered enough to to feel like as though they could make um, make a noise about it enough without yeah. being penalised. Mm. Um, my auntie, very unique. She's black, Scottish, brought up in the 1960s. And wow, the amount of kind of abuse that she received, um, she just said, I just had to put up with it. That's just the way it was. And I think it was all to do with, you know, back then there were it was more institutionally kind of racist. Yeah. There were institutions set up where that experience is just not going to be heard from the top all the way down to the bottom. And I think in that respect, things have changed. I would like to think anyway, uh, particularly in the private sector, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I, I'd agree with that. And it's funny because I've got <laughs> you said your nan was a nurse. My nan was also a nurse as well when she when she came across as part of that wind wind rush generation. Um, and yeah, some of the stories that she shared with me, I was like, I don't think I'd survive to be, to be honest, but um, she, she made a... And my nan said that to me as well. She said, if you, <laughs> I used to come home crying like, nan, this person said this to me. She was like, well, if you were around when I was here. Yeah. Was <laughs> I was like, oh, gee, thanks, nan. That's helpful. <laughs> she was right. You know, she's yeah. trying to say, you guys, you know, you think that's bad. You should have heard what I am bearing in mind. She came pretty much by herself. She, she had nobody and, and to experience that. And you've got nobody. To, the law mm. doesn't support you. Your employer doesn't support you. Yeah. I can't fathom that, to be honest. It's different. It's, it's otherworldly almost. Yeah. It's, all, it's, it's almost incredible, like isn't it? that, that generation walked so that we were able to, uh, uh, to run, I guess, really. Um, 100%. I think it's... you were sorry you're going to say something about your nan as well no that's literally what I, I was just, I was going to say that comment I just made that was what she always used to say to me she was like our generations come here so that you can thrive and you can achieve great things and your children and your children's children can be doctors nurses MPs even astronauts whatever they want to be because you're now in a land of much more opportunity yeah yeah um so she's kind of said, my sacrifice isn't in vain. It's, it's, it's so that you you can achieve what you want to do. So, And I think they achieved that purpose. And that's why it was so upsetting with the Wimrush scandal. When you yeah. think of all that that generation had done for this country, for the next generation, and, and to see how they were treated was, was very upsetting, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, um, and that's just an example of how really, yes, some things have changed in some respects, but in others, we've still got so much to go. For the for the for the people of the past and the people of the present as well, we've still got so much to, to do and so so much to do, so much more needs to be done. Basically. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. Yeah. Um, but sort of shifting back to 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 the topic, um, I know we will have a lot of sales, sorry, business leaders rather than well, and sales leaders as well who are listening to to the podcast, and I'm wondering that if you could share 
maybe a framework that they could use so that their employees feel comfortable to talk about any racial concerns they have within the workplace? I think it's important. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not expert on this. This is just my opinion. That's what <laughs> she's on the call for. She's not <laughs> I think when you're dealing with it, it's very important that you understand, first of all, what the kind of modern day concerns could be nowadays. Um, so, for example, it's for me, it's the fact that, you know, prejudice and discrimination still happens and there needs to be an acknowledgement that it does happen. I think... Um, sometimes when a victim comes forward, we're always quick to say to the victim, oh, but they didn't mean it. Oh, they didn't mean it in that way. I think we need to get away from that now. We need to amplify those voices that are brave enough to come out and really listen to what they're saying. And I think stuff like having a more um, uh, like eth ethnically diverse management team, for example, a more diverse management team in general will help with that. It will empower people to feel like I can come forward and I am I am going to be listened. I think often in the past you, you raise things um, and it's 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 been dismissed and that's because you, you're raising it to, quite frankly, a, a team of, of, of white management who have never lived your experience. They don't know what that means to you and therefore they can be quite dismissive of it. It was joke. It was a. It was banter. It wasn't meant in that way. Yes, but it. That. That's how I feel. So please take me seriously. So I think, it's understanding the the challenges that a, a an ethnic minority or any minority might go through, and just making sure that you've got the best team of people to be able to deal with that in a in a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you still hear, we still hear that kind of now. I mean, like I look back at my time, not like at Softcat, I started um, with, a, you know, like a bunch of guys and, you know, I still work, the majority of my stakeholders are all still, will still, still men. But I just remember, um, and this is no disrespect to Softcat at all, but there was quite a lot of banter back then as well. And, you know, we're talking about our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation where they might have just put up with it. I probably even think like 21 years ago, I just, it was it was kind of harmless but it didn't kind of affect me negatively but if I was going through that now and experiencing it I know that that absolutely wouldn't be right and more people are happier to or com happier and confident based on the environment they're in to kind of go actually what you've just said there isn't right but not everybody feels like that in all of their organizations still so what what say, yeah yeah. So, I mean, like when you say we've still got a long way to go, yes, we've come, come a long way. But yeah, you look at it and you go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe like we're still saying things like that or we're still hearing things like that. Um, do you think there's still people who just are too still afraid to, to say to speak up? Like what's your what's your understanding outside of Softcat or even within Softcat? Do you still think people might be a little bit fearful? So if you think um, of the working population, you've got everyone from the age of, is it 16, 16 till, I don't to know what the, 64. what's the uh, retirement age? There you go. 64. So th that 64 bracket, say 50 plus, they experienced that really harsh racism in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. And they're seeing a society changing, but they might still not feel as empowered because where they have in the past, they've been stung, they've been, um, you know, they've been sh um, dismissed and whatever else. So I still think there are still probably pockets of people yeah. that don't feel empowered. I think where you've got that intersectionality piece as well. So you've got, for example, you might be a woman who is black and you're from a certain 
socioeconomic background that's me for example I, I was brought yeah. up in a council house um from a working class or really a, lo- a lower class family as it will I'm a woman yeah. um to be given an opportunity of a job if I, I, my auntie, one of my aunties, she won't mind me saying, if ever I said to her, all this was said, she'd be like, no, don't say anything. It's a really good job. Don't, don't jeopardize it. <laughs> yeah. It's not worth it. It's a really good job. You've done really well. In their head, they're like, but you've got your foot in the door. Keep that foot in. And I'm like, yeah. well, I don't want don't my foot the in boat. the door. If they're not going to listen to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't. I think those are the differences. It's that, it's the good immigrant pieces and it's still ingrained in people's yeah, heads yeah. that just, just be quiet, just, just assimilate. And I think, um, the younger generation are, are they're not tolerant of that anymore actually I don't need to prove myself anymore I am here and I'm not going to tolerate that kind of behavior and there's constant debate about it even in my own family between the generations because the older ones are used to just not saying anything and they're like you, you're too opinionated why are you bringing up everything it's <laughs> yeah. like, because as a collective we've had enough I don't want to tolerate it any further yeah, yeah. if I see something wrong I am going to say something now we don't yeah, and in fact to, you're sh- you're doing what up. you're yeah, and you're doing what your grandmother did, and that's paving the way for the next generation as well. So exactly. that it exactly. is easier is along the line, aren't they? Exactly. Exactly. And it's just an adjustment each time, isn't it? It's not that. It's not to say that the generation before us were wrong in their approach. They had a different set of challenges. These are a new set of challenges, and we'll have a we we have a new a new response to them, um, basically. But to, in answer to your question, I definitely still think there are people who, no matter um, what we've done so far, they still don't feel empowered, and it's because mm. they might that there's still organisations out there where they don't feel they can speak up and they're going to be supported. Unfortunately, yeah. Which is which is such when I say it's such a shame because I kind of look at our journey and we have come a long way as does you know all of us in Tika who are at different stages um, when it comes to talking about racial equality. You know we are as a, as our founding members we are all at different levels, but the one thing that is really consistent is we're really passionate about making that next level of change as an industry to actually help the industry. Um, I'd probably say like I was gonna not to steal kind of some of your questions, Alex, because I know you're kind of the the key lead on this one but what's no, kind of your fine. one what's the one thing that you would say to um an employee from um or an ethnic minority employee um, as this is about racial equality this podcast a bit more about race what was what would be your advice what would be your advice when it comes to speaking about things that are meaningful raising concerns how do you think how what advice would you give them to raise concerns that they might have um, a never be afraid to always speak up even if it's going to hurt um, even if it's going to cause pain always feel empowered to speak up do not put up and shut up anymore we don't need to do that anymore if you feel like you've been discriminated against speak up um, you'd like to think that you could speak to your manager but if you can't in that case take it to HR um, and if you don't feel like you're getting that support, there's so many um, organisations out there that can help you from a legal point of view to know what your rights are. Things like um, ACAS, things like Citizens Advice, uh, just feel empowered is what I would say. Um, there's yeah. a, when I was a student, um, I worked at a student accommodation and I received racism. I was doing a viewing and I had the most obscene things said to me um, by this one person. But I, I did that. I shut up and put up because I was like, this is a really good job. I don't want to jeopardize my position. I spoke to my manager about it and said, you know, what? I had this view and I was very uncomfortable. They said these things. My manager literally not physically grabbed me, but really got my attention and said, Keisha, if I could give you any advice, please never tolerate anything like that ever again. 
Um, I don't care if you're part time. I don't care what your position is. It doesn't matter how long you've been here. You should. You do not have to tolerate yeah. that. If you'd have told me at the time, we would have kicked them out. We'd have stopped that. I don't want to have business with somebody like that. And she's the person that changed the mindset for me. That she's right. Why did I? I will never put up with something like that again. Um, unfortunately, not everybody has that advocate who will tell them. Mm. But just feel empowered in yourself to speak up is what I would say. And you, and hopefully, you'll work for an organisation that takes it seriously. And if they don't, a there's support out there. If you feel like you haven't had the right response. And B, there are better organisations out there, quite frankly. Don't waste your time. Life is short. If you're not working for an organisation that aligns with your values and supports you when you need to, go find the better one because there's plenty out there. Yeah, no, that's I, good I, advice. I, agree. I agree with that advice. Yeah, I think that's that's superb. Um, I wanted to step back to the part that you mentioned about you had a you had sort of like a role model who said you shouldn't be tolerating um, that that type of behavior. Was there anyone else on your journey who you felt like was that pivotal um, and maybe helped change your feelings or thoughts about a particular business or entering the office world, for example? So I think she was definitely one of them. Um, and that was that was my manager when I worked at the student accommodation. I've had some great role models in the past of, of really good management who've helped me um, on my journey. My previous uh, sales team leader was absolutely fantastic in that. Um, he's, he's unfortunately left Softcat, but he was very pivotal in, in making sure that um, that I understood that I would be heard and I would be listened to. I've had adverse things as well, not necessarily just racial discrimination. I think there's lots of intersections as well. So yeah. in the past where I've suffered with mental health adversely, I've had very bad advice from bad managers um, who, and luckily I've always been strong enough. Us Frenchies, we're very strong and very obnoxious <laughs> in, in that we are, <laughs> like we, we can't be fought, we can't be pinned down. Uh, we, we, we do not get knocked easily. And luckily, when I did receive bad management, I knew enough that it was more of a them problem than a me. But unfortunately, not everybody knows that. They they yeah. get bad management. They're given bad advice. They don't realise that it's less to do with them and more to do with that leader is not a leader. Um, so, yeah, I have been very fortunate that along the way, um, I've I've had some support, but I've had knockbacks as well. I remember particularly when I was going for my A levels, I wanted to go to University of Manchester. I was told I was I was not. It was categorically you are not going to get the grades. You're not. You're on track for B, C, D, and something else. You're not going to get it. And I got two A stars and two A's, and it was more as a mime language. Stick two fingers up to them to prove to them I can. Don't tell yeah. me I cannot. I think that yeah. would be my advice to people. You are, as an ethnic minority or any minority, you're more likely to hear the no's than you are the yeses. But don't listen to people. There is no glass ceiling. You keep striving. If you want something, go. you can get it. You, you 100% can, would be my advice. Amazing. <laughs> so, so, so do you believe in the statement that if you're an ethnic minority, you have to work twice as hard? Unfortunately, yes. And it's because you have to prove yourself. Everybody has to prove themselves in terms of their role. But you're compounded in that you have to prove you're working against the stereotypes that have already been put up against you before you even open your mouth. Mm. So I am a black woman. I've got my, my afro. It's slightly pinned down today. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a curvaceous lady if you don't mind me saying <laughs> and with with all those things I'm a Caribbean you know um people say I'm and with that comes a set of stereotypes so I've been told I am loud I'm aggressive I'm I'm you know I'm intimidating and sometimes I've not even 
I've not spoken or I've been very quiet, but those are the kind of things that work against you. That angry black woman trope is something that no matter who you are, what you represent, that will always follow you. So you do have to work twice as hard because you're working against the stereotypes that have been put up against you. And then you're having to work to prove your worth in your role. Mm. And unfortunately, whether we like it or not, that is the lived in experience of any, any ethnic or any minority. They have a set of things put up against them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so with that, with... Think... sorry, go on this. Sorry, Alex, carry on. Sounds like you've got a great question um, coming on. You carry, you carry on. I was going to say, um, could you touched upon um, the stereotypes there? Do you think we'll ever get to a point within the working world where we've sort of debunked these ethnic stereotypes? And if so, when, when do you think that will be? Do you think that'll be within sort of your time of working or, or do you think it's going to be a little bit further than that? It's really hard to say because I think stereotypes evolve and change. I don't think we'll ever, we're ever going to get away from them. I think they'll evolve as new, as new term. Like for example, woke is a word now, wokeness, mm. and now it's created a new stereotype of people who are woke and what that means to be woke. For example, so I don't think we're ever going to get away from stereotypes as such. I'd just like to think that we call and hold people to account for those who judge and treat people. Uh, to stereotypes I'd like to think we start to erase as many as possible but I don't think whether it's pessimistic or not I don't think we're ever realistically gonna, unfortunately going to get away from stereotypes it's the way that we are as humans unfortunately mm. we do stereotype without even realize we're doing it yeah. yeah yeah I mean I kind of I kind of agree with that I think um stereotypes in some senses is a good thing right um, because it's, you can have positive stereotypes and negative stereotypes. Um, and the reason that it, it is a stereotype is because there's a generalization amongst amongst those people that is somewhat correct to some percentage, whether it be smaller or, or slightly large. Um, but I do think, especially in the working world, there needs to just be a change of story um, that, that happens over time. Um, and listeners, if you've listened to the podcast before, that we've had with Colin um, and, and he mentioned about the role models and sort of the people who we look up to within the industry. I think they're going to be the types of people that change that because we're going to say, oh, so-and-so is CTO at Softcat, for example, and their background yeah, yeah. is Caribbean and XYZ and they'll, they will understand their story. And the, when we get more and more of those, eventually I think, I think we'll be able to change how the book's been written. Mm. So yeah it will at least stop it will we can it will at least them say here are a set of stereotypes but i realize that people aren't people we can't fit people into those boxes it's not realistic yeah. and i shouldn't judge people based on a set of a set of stereotypes they exist yeah. but i'm not going to do anything about them i'm not going to judge mm. someone based on pre um conceptions yeah and i'd like to say that we're there yet but there are still people who who will stereotype it's just us yeah. as a organization identifying and holding people to account when they do mm. And what about um so what what when we'll have a lot of employers um listening to 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 this podcast as well Keisha who who probably are like kind of just a bit nervous about even starting the conversations or allowing people I mean you know I'd like to I hope that most of the organizations listening today will be um allowing their workforce to speak up but they might be a little bit worried about um what it might turn into or what the conversations might might you know what the starters are going 
going to be. How can you, what advice would you give to the employers listening to the call, the organisations listening to this call in to encourage good dialogue and and how to create that culture of um, people being okay speaking about their backgrounds and any concerns that they might have? I would say it's perfectly okay to be afraid, but um, that it, it needs to happen eventually because plenty of organisations are now addressing that this needs to happen. We need to have these conversations because if we don't, then it's ignorance, isn't it? You're, you're ignoring a situation that exists. Your mm. employees are not going to feel empowered to speak up and they'll just leave. And Nush, we went on that journey at Softcat, didn't we? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we, we're talking today on this subject, but there's been a lot of pain and there's been a lot of stuff that we've had to do at Softcat yeah. to get to this point. And there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear of bringing up subjects. Is this appropriate for the workplace? Do we want to go there? But as an organisation, we said now is the time when we need to start talking about it. We need to provide a safe space for ethnic minorities and other minorities to come together. And we need to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. And it's, yeah. and there have been some very difficult conversations. Uh, but we've got to a position now where people are starting to feel empowered. Yeah, yeah. And we wouldn't have got there had we acknowledged that we're not doing enough. We're not speaking about it enough. Let's let's start it's going to be painful yeah. but let's go on that journey and we're still on that journey now yeah we still are yeah and that's the thing you've just got to constantly check in and you everyone's at different points in their journey whether you're starting off to start you know addressing um some of the concerns that might ex might exist amongst your employees um but that that whole it, the bit that i think you started with which was about creating that inclusive culture making sure that everyone can come to work and be themselves that is just so imperative otherwise none of the discussions actually work well, yeah, if we didn't have um, this, if we didn't create that safe space, which was the BAME network for me, well, I wouldn't be on this call. I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to speak about these experiences because I, I wouldn't have known that I had the power to do so. I wouldn't have known that my organisation are going to back me and allow me to. So it's so important. And obviously, we're talking about race today, but this applies to all manner. We've yeah. got a number of networks, neurodiversity, pride, women. For, for any ethnic minority, the first stage is it's really important that you empower them to be able to have, and I'm not talking about negative, just any conversation. Just any conversation, yes. Yeah. Let's, let's celebrate, let's educate, but let's talk. Yeah. That's what that's what's needed as a starting point. Agreed, agreed. Um, I, I know we've, we're coming a little bit um, close to the end, but I wanted to ask you a question that I think I've actually got circled on my one note funny enough <laughs> um, <laughs> which is which is around which is more difficult if there's a scenario where you're seeing some type of racial abuse or racial abuse within the workplace that is is it harder for the victim to report it or is it harder for the ally to report it and I'd, I'd just like to maybe get a view from both of you and maybe question. just g give some reasons to why um it's oh that's a difficult one it's a real tough I would one always that. say yeah I would always say the victim because they're the ones who've had to experience it and now I have to go through that little bit of trauma in raising it making sure that I'm validated that they're going to believe me but I don't take away from the fact that it's very difficult as an ally to, it's an awkward one. It's very awkward. I understand the difficulties for an ally in saying, you know what, I, I need to hold you to account here. I need to be on the right side of this, particularly if it's your friend that's the perpetrator. That can be quite difficult. Yeah. But I would always say it's going to be hardest for the victim personally. 
I don't know about you, Nush. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that, actually, um, which goes back to um, some of the comments that we've talked about around allyship behaviour is it has to, as much as it might be a, a newer thing to embrace, it's actually like kind of making sure that your organisation understands what true allyship actually means and making sure that everyone feels comfortable with that kind of behaviour and and and, um, and having those traits. I think I've mentioned on a previous podcast about, you know, like if you're living and breathing your company values and, you know, you've got kind of people at the centre of your organisation, allyship shouldn't be a massive, massive jump. You know, it, you know, like you're not, you, you would always back your mates, wouldn't you? You'd always back, back people that, that, you know, if you see somebody that's hurt, you'd kind of help them, wouldn't you? And I think with this, it's because it's a complex or it can seem like it's a complicated um, conversation. Yeah. If you just boil it down to what's right and wrong, it should be easy. Um, like we always talk about, you know, it, have a growth mindset, be curious, stand up for your colleagues. And actually that then filters down into your family, your, co- your you know, the community that we're serving as well. So it goes be- it goes well beyond just your organisation as well, I think. So whilst it could be difficult to call in or call out that kind of bad behaviour for allies, I look up to the allies, actually. I, you know, we need them in our lives. We need them in our company. And I actually really look up to them and will absolutely give them a call if I know that someone's actually stood up for somebody because we need more people like that. Mm, yeah, that's that's interesting. I guess my, my follow-on point to that is that in the long term, then, who's who's more valuable um, and I understand the value of the victim and the value of the, of an ally as well. But I mean, in terms of progression in the workplace so that these things don't happen again, do we need to have more victims who speak out or more allies that speak out on what's going on? Or is it the same? Or it, I mean, I feel like it's... It... Um, for me, it's the allies. Um, yeah. For me, the allies are going to be the key because we need to stop relying on people who are going through the process to also trail the way for change because that's a that's a double um it's like a double edged sword isn't it i'm going through the pain but you also want me to help you to make sure this doesn't happen again whilst i'm also trying to deal with my own my own grief and what i've just mm-hmm. gone through whereas the ally they don't have that pain they, they they can't sympathize in that respect they've not gone through it but they should we as an ally you should empower to say i've seen someone go through this and i want to be a part of the change for sure this does not happen again so to, uh, adversely though it's the victim that might go through the pain the most it's on us allies to pave the way that mm. that's going to be the real um catalyst for change because allies occupy spaces that we will never see so for example a, a white person in a pub full of white people are going to be privy to conversations that an ethnic minority might never hear. And if you've got a room full of allies advocating you on your behalf, they're the cat- they're really going to push that change in a way that you couldn't even if you was in the room because you're not going mm-hmm. to be privy to the conversations behind closed doors. Yeah, I get that. That's a good that's that's a good answer. I kind of agree with that as well in the sense that I think that allies are really going to drive it forward. And especially those allies who are really entrenched with those who have their adverse opinions to thinking, oh, racism doesn't exist in the workplace, for example, um, because really what your workplace is just one big community, right, with a bunch of different yeah. um, friendship groups within that. And if you can infiltrate mm. every friendship group with the right messaging, 
over time those groups will develop and learn and there'll be an evolution within the business to say okay you know what when we see maybe someone new come into the business and they react to something in a way that we don't agree with we all sort of huddle up together and say you know what this is wrong and there's a magnitude of us calling it out um which i think yeah i think is the that's sort of the mm, I don't use the word the dream because there's probably bits you can build on on top of that, but that that's where you want it to be. That sort of yeah. herd herd sort of mentality where everyone's just mm. looking after each other and, and making sure that they're okay. Yeah, because if you have a perpetrator, they're more likely to listen to the ally that looks like them, that speaks their language, and if they can hear it from them and say you are wrong, and they're more likely to than them than if. For example, me or Nush gets onto them and says this is wrong. If they're if they're not used to occupying those spaces and joining the BAME network talks, they're just going to shut off. Mm. Whereas if you can have an ally that looks like you and, and sounds like you, saying that I'm going to help you on that journey, mm. this is why you you've gone wrong. You're more likely to listen, and that's where change is going to happen, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. And Alex, sure. I think um, the other thing, just in terms of like kind of the, the bigger picture around organizations and organizations evol evolving, you know, like we all have a part to play, like, you know, you take even take race out of the equation. You know, if you're a senior member of the organization, everything from the CEO all the way that down to, you know, whichever person is joining your company even before that as well, like if, you know, that attraction piece and wanting to work for an organization, we've all got a part to play in understanding and learning. Like I, I have, have a DNI role, but I'm constantly learning. There is always some new term or a new piece of wording or a language change or something that keeps you on your toes. But that learning doesn't stop. And I think back to Keisha's point, that learning doesn't have to be the responsibility of us as ethnic minorities. It, you know, the learning has to be something that you kind of look at and go, right, okay, I need to, I need, I need to take responsibility for myself, for the, sure. for the health and wealth of not just my company, but also my family and my friends and everyone around us to make us a better person. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I'm just, having a little look over the time. I think that's all we've got time for for today. Um, so first and foremost, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Keisha, for joining us on this episode. Your insight's been fantastic. And I'm sure our listeners have, have taken a bunch of different notes and are going to be able to take what you said into their businesses and into their lives as well. Uh, as usual, thank, thank you, Nush. You. Your question's outstanding. Always, always a little bit better than me. <laughs> I'll stop but, it, uh, Alex. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I appreciate you being here. Um, and no, first of all, thank, thank you to our listeners. No worries. Um, and thank you to our listeners as well. Um, we, we appreciate you tuning in um, to this episode and we look forward to bringing you more inserts and please um, engage with TK through our socials. Um, we're very active on LinkedIn and on other social media platforms. If you want to ever get in contact with myself or Nush or Keisha, we'll be more than happy to share some contact information if you've got any questions or queries that you wish to ask. But like I said before, that's that's all we've got time for. And yeah, thank you for tuning into the TK podcast and we'll, we'll look out for you guys next time. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to hearing your thoughts. So please continue the dialogue on socials. To stay updated on when we release the next episode, follow us on LinkedIn and on Twitter at TC4RE. And don't forget to check our website at www.tcare.org. 
for more information and content on today's topics.